Good morning, Life Spring Bible Church family. God bless you. It's good to be with you again. Uh, I've got a, an important announcement to make and some information to share with you, and then uh, got a brief message to share with you for the day. And um, first of all, I, I want to let you know that the uh, the elder board and I have been praying about uh, about uh, setting a date for our regathering at uh, at uh, Wayland Baptist University. And uh, we have set the date of June 14th. And, and it's kind of funny. People look at that or they'll hear that and they'll say, why June 14th? Well, that's what God told us to do. And so uh, that's, uh, that's why we're going to do it. Uh, there's a video that we've attached to this sermon that you can click on and listen to it. Uh, or you can go to Lifespring AK. You can be able to find it there. Or I believe even on our... Um, Lifespring uh, Facebook page, possibly. Uh, there's a little video. It's short. You'll enjoy it. It, it was done by uh, Pastor YPJ, um, kind of unusual name, Pastor YPJ. He's the pastor of Family Center in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I was doing the best I could to try to explain to my wife um, why we were going to open on June 14th and, and what my feelings were about this entire uh, episode of being um, quarantined and so forth and so on and uh, Isaac just out of the clear blue Isaac Johnson my son-in-law down in uh, Yakima sent me this video and and um, said it was an interesting point of view from a pastor and I listened to that and folks I'm telling you God's telling him to open in, in early June they'll open probably the first Sunday in June we're not open until June 14th because that's what God told us and so, uh, but the feelings expressed in that video and the points uh, that the pastor makes about, this isn't about survival, it's about revival. And uh, we've, got, we've got three weeks before we gather on June 14th at Wayland Baptist University. And now it's a matter of getting prepared spiritually for that. Well, listen to the video. We'll talk more about that um, in our morning sessions uh, at 8 a.m. and uh, share some of those points of view. and. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions you've got, but um, he gets pretty adamant in that video about some things, but I feel very strongly also uh, about some of the points shared in that video. And uh, we'll talk more about uh, particulars and, and things that we're going to do uh, to regather as safely as we possibly can. But remember, now it's about a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And I think it's been about a spiritual battle from day one. And uh, we'll talk more about that. But we're very excited about getting together on June the 14th. And uh, let's just get ready for it. Amen? Okay. We, um, we've got uh, message four in our Esther series that we're going to share with you today. And the title of the message is God's Providential Kaleidoscope. And let's pray together before we, before we begin. Father, we want to thank you once again for giving us this time to be together to rally around your word. I want to thank you once again for the Life Spring Bible Church family that's tuned in today and all those who will uh, be able to view this video. Uh, Father, we pray that it would be a blessing to all who see it and all who hear it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 7. Um, we're going to cover uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8 today. And instead of reading it to you twice, um, just go to Esther chapter 7, and we're going to break down uh, portions of the scripture, and uh, there's no sense in reading through all of it two times. So 
First, I'm going to start with sharing the message goal for this uh, sermon. The goal of this message is to help you learn to believe and trust in God, even when it doesn't make sense or seem to be fair. Because God can reverse circumstances that seem irreversible and make sense out of life when nothing seems to add up. If I um, had you in a room here close by and I handed you uh, four, a four-piece puzzle, put it in your hand and you laid it here on the desk, it wouldn't take you a minute to put together a four-piece puzzle. You could do it pretty quick. If I gave you a 50-piece puzzle, it'd take a little bit longer to solve, but, it, but you could manage it okay, right? What if I give you a 500-piece puzzle? Well, there are a whole lot of people right now that would just would just get you know away from that idea. They don't like putting puzzles together, and so uh, they wouldn't do it. But what if I gave you a 5,000-piece puzzle? Uh, you'd be even more turned off. What if I gave you a 500,000-piece puzzle? What if I gave you a 5,000,000-piece puzzle? What if I gave you a billion-piece puzzle? Most people say it's way too much. I can't figure all this out. Well, trying to figure out God is like trying to put together a billion-piece puzzle. There's too many pieces to his plan, and the Bible says his thoughts and ways are infinitely higher than ours anyway. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So trying to figure out infinity with our finite minds is a waste of time. To be sure, God has revealed many things about himself in his word. But there are also the secret things that belong to him and him alone. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. But the first part of that passage of Scripture says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. In fact, it's going to take eternity to come anywhere near understanding God. That's one reason why we're going to live forever, because it's going to take us that long just to make sense of the uncreated creator of all things. Now listen to this. I highlighted this. And when you get a hold of these notes, you'll be able to see why. And our God, who doesn't miss a microsecond or a syllable of any subject that has been known, is known, or will ever be known, is so brilliant in his capacity that he can take things that look totally unrelated and disconnected and put them together like a giant jigsaw puzzle to make sense out of them. And there's no time when we wish God would put the pieces of our life's puzzle together more than when we're going through a rough time and things don't make sense. But, but before he does this, God often lets us find ourselves with our backs to the wall so that we can discover that he alone is God. This is what happens in the story of Esther. But it's also one of the finest biblical examples of God putting a seemingly impossible, too big to solve puzzle together. The first point of this message is God can use negative circumstances and people to accomplish his ultimate plan. If you don't know that, when you get hit by the devil, you're only going to react to what you see. Don't miss the good that God may be doing through while you're in a bad experience. 
there's a, uh, there's a uh, soldier story out there, an army story, about an army sergeant who was testing his men to see how far they had progressed in their training. He told them to run and leap over a small body of water without falling in and getting wet. Some soldiers made it halfway. Others made it two-thirds of the way across, but they all fell in the water. The sergeant told them, this is unacceptable. We're going to do this again tomorrow, and you better jump all the way over. When they came back the next day, the soldiers discovered that the sergeant had put alligators in the water. <laughs> they all made it over. God sometimes lets bad situations swim in the water of your life in order to take you to a place you would not naturally go. Uh, Ryan Stevens preached one of the finest sermons I've ever heard and made one of the greatest points in this subject I've ever seen. And what he said was that uh, when Jesus Christ stood up and told the disciples, let's go over to the other side uh, of the lake, when they got in the boat and they started over, they got in a storm that seemed like it was going to drown them, it was going to kill them. And uh, it was extremely, I'll put it mildly, extremely unpleasant for the disciples. But the point he made was sometimes for God to teach you something about himself that you don't know, he's got to take you someplace you don't want to go. I don't think any one of those men would have chosen to go into that storm. But what did they learn? They learned that even the waves and the storm and the seas obey the word of Christ. Point number two, waiting on God means waiting on him to put things together the way he wants them to be. I want to read with you Esther chapter 7, the first 10 verses. Remember the point, waiting on God means waiting on him to put things together the way he wants them to be. Esther chapter 7 verse 1. So the king and Haman went into a feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said again to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther, Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance, uh, in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing in Haman's house fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. 
Now, we can't know how long it will take for God to put everything together in our situation. There's too many pieces to the puzzle. Too many people and things that God needs to arrange. But you will know it when God shows up. It'll be sudden and in so many unexpected ways. In the meantime, it may seem that God may let things get worse before they get better. He may take you to a rock bottom so you can discover that he's also the God of the rock bottom as well as the God of the mountaintop. When my children were growing up, we didn't always have time for a big breakfast. I mean, there were lots of times we didn't have time for a big breakfast. And my kids, they, they may not remember this because this is part of my obsessive compulsive behavior. So when my children were growing up, we didn't always have time for a big breakfast, so we would grab Pop-Tarts and drop them in the toaster. But sometimes they'd pop up before they were ready, in my opinion. They weren't crisp enough, so you had to push them back down in the toaster for more heat. Just because they popped up didn't mean they were ready. We want to pop up after a while in God's toaster and say, we're ready. But God looks at us and says, no, you're not done yet. <laughs> the situation you're in isn't finished and the details are not aligned third point of the message when god is ready to move he can reverse the most irreversible circumstances in esther chapter 8 let's begin reading with verse 1 on that day king ahasuerus gave to queen esther the house of haman the enemy of the jews and mordecai came before the king for esther had told what he was to her he was her uncle and the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it pleased the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, I am, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps, and to the governors, and to the officials of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script, to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, 
and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted all their swift horses. They were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light, or the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So in other words, there were people going, whoa, 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 I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, and they were Gentiles, but they wanted to save their lives, and they wanted to let the Jews know that they, they weren't there to carry out any violence on them because... If they did, the Jews, uh, it had been made legal for them to defend themselves and fight back against uh, anyone who tried to harm them. Uh, you know, you might ask yourself, how does this really apply to my life? You know, once again, one of the important points here in the book of Esther is that God's not mentioned, really, specifically, in this book, and yet you see the hand of God from beginning to end. You see God working through too many details really to easily count or keep up with and uh, kind of wonder how it applies to our lives. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you like this. There was an old story about a farmer's dog that fell into a deep well one time, so the farmer decided just to bury him in it. He started throwing in dirt, but every time the dirt hit the bottom, the dog would shake it off, stand on the new pile. <laughs> This went on until the dog had been lifted high enough that he was able to climb out of the well and escape, even though the farmer kept on throwing dirt into it. Didn't matter. The moral of the story is God may allow the devil or other people to throw some dirt on you, but if you know him, you can shake it off and keep on climbing because God knows how to reverse the irreversible. So how does this apply to us? I said, because thankfully our God is the God of reversals. He can change seemingly irreversible circumstances in a moment. One of those is economic reversal. The scripture says the inheritance of the wicked will be laid up for the righteous. In Job chapter 27 verses 16 and 17 it says, Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay. Verse 17 says he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. Uh, God, uh, we don't have time to treat this one uh, with the attention to detail that we'd like to, but political reversal. Uh, you may think your boss or the powers that be or those unscrupulous co-workers who are plotting against you have the final say because they have the name, the money, uh, or the position, but they don't have anything unless God gives it to them. And he can take it away, and just like happened in, in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream. 
uh, or he dreamed about uh, this great tree and how, how it uh, provided shade and food and so forth and so on to all the animals and all the people of the kingdom. And uh, he said a, a, a messenger came and, and cut the tree down but left the stump and the roots. And uh, he, he wanted the interpretation of the dream and Daniel gave him the interpretation of the dream. And, and you have to encapsulate the story of Nebuchadnezzar like this. God had used the Persian Empire to uh, take the children of Israel into captivity. They had been in disobedience. God allowed uh, Israel to fall to the Persian Empire, and many Jews had, had been taken captive in uh, the empire, in the Persian Empire. And so, in reality, King Nebuchadnezzar had a very high opinion of himself. And God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the one with the power. God was the one with the power. And so the interpretation of the dream was that God would take um, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, intelligence from him and that he would graze in the fields like an animal for a number of years. And when he came out of that, he proclaimed that God was the God of this, of this entire world. And uh, it was one of those things where Daniel's life was vindicated as a servant of God uh, in that kingdom. And it wasn't the first time, it wasn't going to be the last time. So nobody has the final say over a Christian living by the Spirit and the will of God, but God himself, all right? So the first one was economic reversal. Political reversal was number two. Number three is legal reversal. Uh, once again, I don't have the kind of time I would like to have, but, but think about this. I know that I have counseled Christians before that were facing legal battles. And basically, you, you need to pray that God's hand is in the situation so that even if it, by all appearances, looks like the legal decisions that were being made in the court of law uh, have gone against you, that doesn't matter. God's still on the throne. God's still in control. God still manages the details. And God can work a legal reversal in your life. He may allow it to be issued for his purposes because his kingdom plan is bigger than one person. Now, how about number four, emotional reversal. When God reverses your circumstances, he can wipe away tears and turn sadness into joy. Short, sweet, simple. And then number five, spiritual reversal. God may allow you to enter into a bad situation so that he can give you a supernatural deliverance that will cause other people to want to attach to the God who delivered you. Think about this. God may allow you to enter a bad situation. And you, you can't throw up your hands and say, I don't like this. I reject this message. That's not true. Well, what happened to Esther? What happened to Mordecai? Were they not in a bad situation? And in the end, when they were delivered, wasn't an entire nation affected? That's, you, can't, you can't flush this out and get rid of it. God may allow you to enter into a bad situation so that he can give you a supernatural deliverance that will cause other people to want to attach to the God who delivered you. All of a sudden, a bunch of Gentiles want to say, I want to be a Jew. <laughs> I want to be Jewish, you know, so that they would not have their lives taken from them or be mistaken for an aggressor against God's people. But too often we try to illegitimately take matters into our own hands to control our own circumstances. I want to read the line before that. I missed that. When life goes south on us, or that's the way it appears, when it doesn't make sense, when it seems unfair, 
when it seems definitely wrong, we're still called to believe in this God who can make the incomprehensible make sense. But too often we try to illegitimately take matters into our own hands to control our circumstances. If we're paying attention, we often wind up making our, if we don't pay attention, we often wind up making our situations even messier. God only, God not only wants to do the right thing, he wants you to do the right thing at the right time because timing matters to God. He does things with precision like a surgeon, not only related to events, but also related to time. How many how many occasions have you heard me say, time does not affect God, but he only uses it to his advantage? In Esther's case, there were many other things God wanted to happen to set the stage for the good he wanted to do that had not yet happened. Remember as a Christian, you only have one source. Now listen to me carefully. You may think I've got some money in the bank, or I've got rich relatives, or... I've got this source or I've got that. No, you don't. No, you don't, child of God. You, If you are a child of God, you have one source, and that's Father. And you need to let Father take care of your life. If you ever get that in your head, remember as a Christian, you only have one source. If you ever get that in your head, if it ever burns into your heart and mind that nobody, I don't care who they are, has a final say over a Christian living by the Spirit and the will of God, then you'll understand that you never have to live a threatened life. God has an override button and he can push to thwart what Satan has planned against you. The people he has raised up against you are the circumstances that look hopeless. When God pushes the override button, it doesn't stop the evil from being evil, but God gives you something to conquer it. I want to read that again. When God pushes the override button, it doesn't stop the evil from being evil, but God gives you something to conquer it. So, man, I tell you, the book of Esther, you start out on these uh, lessons and sermons and messages, and you just, you know, you, you have to look at the big picture. What God, What is God trying to put across to us? And and I think the messages that come forth, like we like we did with the book of Ruth, we saw a series of truths and some of the things in Esther are similar to some of the things that happened in the book of Ruth. So um, we're going to uh, have our last message in, uh, in this book of Esther series next week. So I hope you'll tune in for that. So very exciting book, right? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name that you're a complex God. And your ways are so far above ours, Lord. And your wisdom so far outpaces anything in this world. And Father, we as your children, we just want to grow more and more dependent upon you and your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding, Lord. Father, we ask you to forgive us for all the times we have become impatient with you. And that we have questioned your will and your ways and your desires. And Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you help us, Lord to change. We repent in the name of Jesus. We want to change, Father. Help us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we want to thank you for unfolding uh, your plan for us to get back together physically. We thank you for watching over us, protecting us, keeping us safe. But Father, prepare us spiritually, even more importantly than physically. In Christ's name we pray and praise. Amen. God bless you.
uh, join with us again in the morning at 8 a.m. And we'll talk more about uh, getting back together soon at uh, Wayland Baptist University on June 14th. We'll talk more about that. God bless. Bye.